you can, um, you can just hold on to it, and on your way out, there'll be someone from the welcome team by the exit. You can give them the card. There'll be a basket, as well as any physical offering that you might have. So we are starting our Christmas offering. Those of you who have been around, you know that every year uh, during the holiday seasons, we do our Christmas offering. Um, and it, it extends, it's, it's open now, and it'll go all the way into the beginning of the year. And it's, an, it's like a year, end of the year offering, and it's an opportunity for us to really bless some, some significant ministry. So let me, you're going to hear more about this as we go. We'll have some videos and different things so you can know all the things that we're focusing on. We're doing, again, uh, part of it's going to go to Judique Casa de los Precios. That's the ministry in Bolivia, the orphanage for special needs children. Paul Hoffman was the first associate pastor uh, that I ever had here at the church many, many years ago. And he and his wife, Kristen, uh, lead this tremendous uh, home for kids who uh, really wouldn't have any other options. So here's the thing. Last year's Christmas offering was so good that Paul is actually looking to buy land to expand the, uh, the orphanage so they can care for more kids. So it's kind of an opportunity. We can kind of push him over the top for that because it was, uh, it was a real blessing last year. Open Door Community Center. That is our food bank community center, which is now its own separate 501c3. You'll hear more about that. And many of you guys know about all the thousands of people that we're feeding every month. Uh, we're, we're hiring people for our, for our community center. Uh, we're expanding ministries. We have um, uh, ESL that's going to be launched next month, and there's a whole bunch of other things that are going on there. So, so this is a, a great way for us to really help the, the ministry of our community center go into 2022. And then the third thing, I'm excited about all of these things, but I'm really excited about this. So prior to the crazy building stuff that we had, and some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you, like, thankfully don't, because the crazy building stuff is in our past. But we, prior to that, we had planted five churches. We were, like, really very much a church-planting church, and, uh, and we really haven't been able to focus on that. But I really feel that now uh, the Lord is just really giving vision and really speaking that in the years to come, we want to be starting uh, churches all over the New York City area as well as other places that are kind of running similar playbooks to what we, what we do here, uh, some, of the, some of the unique distinctives that we have. And, and so we've got a church plant that's ready to go. Uh, Jose and Piedad are going to be planting down in Maryland. You'll hear more about that as time goes on. Uh, and uh, they're, they're all, all ready to go, and we're excited about what God is doing with them. But I got this other thing going on. Me and Pastor Charles, once a month, we have this preaching lab, this workshop on Saturday mornings. We've got like 10 people in it. A lot of them are these like young guys who we just know have a calling on God for their life to pastor and to, you know, plant churches. And so we're kind of sowing into them and kind of getting ready in the hopes that like every year we're going to be starting some new congregations all around this area. So, so I'm super excited about this. And so, so part of the, uh, the Christmas offering is going to go into like funds and things that can enable us for the, for the long haul to be able to really multiply uh, what God is doing all over North Jersey and beyond. All right. So you will hear more about about this. We'll have some videos to, to let you know uh, all the different ministries and where everything's going. Uh, and then what you can do is on your offering envelopes, you'll see just for the next like six weeks, you can write in the amount for the Christmas offering. It'll go to that uh, on the app, on the PushPay app. There's a drop down that says Christmas offering. So, so, uh, so we're officially kind of launching it uh, today. So, um, so this is our final week of The Chosen. Yeah, I, that's how I feel about it. I have so, listen, here's the thing, like, I don't, you know, like, like, there is, okay, all right, settle down, settle down, people, settle down, but it has been so easy, like, for me to put a sermon together and to know that I'm going to, like, that conclusion is going to be this incredibly, you know, enacted scene that's going to make you cry, that's going to make you cheer, it just makes my job so much easier, so I'm going to miss that starting next week, um, but it's been really good. It's been rich. I've really enjoyed uh, doing a deep dive into, into the life of Jesus and into these particular stories that The Chosen so beautifully captures. I've loved just, the, you know, watching with the people in my life group and the discussions that we've had. But yes, so there is, so you know, there is a season two. So you can go right into season two and you can binge season two. Uh, the best way to do it is to probably download the free app, but there's other ways that you can do it. I don't think we're going to do the campaign for The Chosen next year because they're going to do seven seasons. And so there's some other things that we need to do. But 
Life groups are going to, this is the last week of life groups, but then they're going to start up again in January, mid-January, and there are, we call them our free market groups. So any of you life group leaders out there, if you want to go ahead and just continue with, uh, with season two, that certainly can be an option. Um, so what we're going to focus on today, let me read our theme verse again here for the, for, the, uh, for the last time, but hopefully you've memorized this verse or it's really something that's been a part of you. It's Isaiah 43, 1. Now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name, you are mine. How incredible was that song, You Know My Name? I mean, I just, I don't get tired of that, but because the truth of it is so powerful. He knows you by name, he, he loves you, he's called you by name. And so today, we're going to focus on the conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. And uh, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the whole conversation. It's a little bit of a longer scripture passage than I normally would read on a Sunday morning, but I just thought it would be good for us to read it together, then we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to watch this incredible depiction of that conversation, which actually, I mean, you guys know how much I've loved every scene that, that I've shown you. The one we're going to see today is my favorite, all right? So I, I, I love them all, but I love this one the most, I would say. So John chapter 4, starting at verse 1, says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. I'm going to read it fast because it's a lot of verses. Uh, Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So we left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now we had to go through Samaria. So we came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. For you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and His worshipers must worship in, in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Okay. This is not living water. This is Poland Spring. Okay. So, so the first thing that we need to realize is that the main character of this encounter, of this story, is not the woman. It's Jesus. Because what Jesus is doing here is he's revealing to her for the first time, revealing to someone with the understanding that this person is now going to go on and tell other people that he's the Messiah. And so this knowledge changes her life. She goes to Samaria. Everyone else, she said, don't tell anyone yet who I am. But here, he says, go, you know, go and tell. And so she tells everyone, you know, someone who told me everything I ever did, he must be the Christ. And so they come back and, and their lives are changed. And so that announcement that he is the Christ has rippled through the centuries and has changed our lives and really has changed the lives of billions of people. Now remember, 
Right before this encounter, John chapter 4, is John chapter 3, which is Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And so he goes to Nicodemus. Remember, we showed that scene a couple weeks ago. Um, and, and, and he's talking to someone who's a Pharisee, who's a member of the Sanhedrin. So the elite, the powerful, you know, the elite of the elite. And something that he says to Nicodemus is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now what you need to know though, that, that, that verse came out of this conversation with Nicodemus. That wouldn't be really good news to a Jewish person. Because a Jewish person would say, wait a minute, hold on Jesus. Don't you mean for God so loved religious Jews who keep the law that you gave your only son? And so what this does is Jesus saying, no, like everybody, like, listen, religious Nicodemus, you need me as much as anybody. And so what John chapter 4 shows us is that what Jesus said at John 3.16 is really true. He came for the whole world. And I'll explain in a minute as we go, but you have Nicodemus, and then on the, all the way on the other end of the spectrum, you have the Samaritan woman. So it really shows that this message, this Jesus' mission is absolutely 100% for everyone. And so what I have here to kind of walk us through this lengthy passage is three points that I want to make. There's so many. When you, if you preach the woman at the well, right, this passage, so many directions you can go in. But I've got three points that I think is, are important for us to think about. And then, of course, I'm going to show the scene at the end. I'm going to show you the whole conversation and how it's depicted, because as I said, it's my favorite of all of them. Um, but my first point is that Jesus is the sympathetic Savior, and so if you have the app, I would encourage you to open up the, the notes section because I've got all the verses and fill in the blanks and the outline and you can follow along. And so, so the text tells us that things are heating up for Jesus and his disciples, right? There are miracles that are happening. A lot of people are, Jesus' disciples are baptizing people. The Pharisees are aware of what's going on. So Jesus decides, let's head north. Let's go up to Galilee Maybe, you know, to kind of like get away from the heat and the focus. And maybe it was a time for him to disciple his, uh, his disciples and teach them and be with them. So it's a 70-mile journey, right, from where they were up to Galilee. And about 40 miles into the journey is Samaria. And so what this verse says, it, it's a throwaway line. It's something that you maybe wouldn't even notice. Verse 6, it says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And so Jesus is our sympathetic Savior. Jesus was tired. I mean, you'd be tired too. He just walked 40 miles in the Middle Eastern sun. He was tired and he sat down at the well. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not, yet he did not sin. See, he empathizes with us. He's sympathetic towards us. He is our sympathetic high priest, meaning he feels what you feel. Anybody here feel tired? Right? Lots of people. I hear from so many people just the last two years. I'm just People are tired. It's been a lot, you know, and then the holidays. Maybe you hosted a lot of people for Thanksgiving, and now Christmas is here, and you got to scramble and do all that. Maybe you're tired. Jesus, our sympathetic high priest, he knows what that's like. Have you, uh, have you ever... Uh, had somebody really close to you betray you? Have you ever had someone that, like, you thought, this one's my friend. This person can, you know, they're my ride or die. They got my back. But then something happened, and, and they betrayed you. They were talking about you. They, they stabbed you in the back. They, they've been, you know, things that were good. They were like two-faced towards you. You thought they were one way, but they were really another way. Jesus, our sympathetic Savior, knows what that's like. Have you ever been tempted? I mean, we've all been tempted. Right, but you know you have these moments where like the temptation is overwhelming. Maybe you're in recovery. And, uh, and you, go, you, you know, you go and live in day by day. And, uh, and most of the time you're good. But sometimes that urge to drink or that urge to use is so strong. You just got to kind of white knuckle it. And maybe you call your sponsor. Or, or maybe you have an anger issue. And so you're trying, to, you're trying to not blow up because you know that causes pain and problems for everybody. But like everybody's pushing your buttons and you're under a lot of pressure and, you're, and you're, it's so hard. You just feel like you're going to explode. See, Jesus, our sympathetic Savior, he understands. He knows that. Have you ever, have you ever had a time where, where maybe you stood up for what was right? 
Like there was a situation at work or in your family or something. Where you're like, hey, you know what, we got to talk about this. This isn't right what's going on here. And so you kind of stuck your neck out. Maybe, maybe you felt you needed to do that over the last year and a half as, as our, our country has been dealing with this kind of racial reckoning and talking about some injustices that have gone on for, for centuries and, and you got involved in some way or you spoke out in some way or whatever it is, you stuck your neck out and you felt like your head got chopped off. See, Jesus, our sympathetic Savior, he knows what that's like. Have you ever gone through a situation where you were in it you're under so much pressure and it's so hard. And the people that you thought you could depend on, the people who were your friends, the people who you thought were your support system, they weren't there for you. They weren't there. And when you needed them most, like they didn't call, they didn't text, they didn't show up. Jesus, your sympathetic Savior, he, he understands that. Because, listen, in his moment of need, when he's about to go to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asks his pals, Peter, James, and John, would you guys pray with me for a little while? They fell asleep. And then when he got arrested, they all scattered. And he hung on the cross alone. And then in that moment that we don't fully understand the what, the why, the hows, what was going on in the Trinity, in the, in the Godhead, the moment that he who knew no sin became sin, the Father turned his face from him, and Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, when we come to Jesus, we are coming to the one who took on flesh and dwelt among us, was tempted in all the ways that we're tempted. He knows what it's like to live this life. He knows what it's like. So he was tired and he sat down at the well. That's my first point. My second point is Jesus is the boundary breaker. I'm going to lean into this one a little bit. John 4, 4, again, it's one of the, another one of those like, sentences that you could just kind of skip over. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? Why was that a big deal? He had to go through Samaria. Let me give you some historical context. So about 2,900 years ago from our time, the nation of Israel was divided. So prior to that, you had the, the Davidic realm, you had the Solomonic realm, Israel was powerful. Israel was economically powerful, politically powerful, militarily powerful. But then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, had some issues. And so a result of his bad leadership, the kingdom of Israel split in two. So the ten northern tribes became Israel, and the two southern tribes became Judah. And they would war, they'd fight against each other every now and then. They, wouldn't, they, wouldn't be, they never were united. And about 200 years after the split... The Assyrians came in, and they defeated the northern, the northern kingdom. They killed the king. They carried people off. They left a lot of people continue to live in Israel. But then they imported a whole bunch of Assyrians and said, hey, you guys, like, just all live together. Figure it out. And so the Assyrians brought their pagan religion. And so you had Judaism, and you had pagan religion, and it got mixed up together. And so then they started marrying. They started having children together. And so their children were the Samaritans. And so if you were a pure-blooded Jew, if you were like a righteous Jew living near Jerusalem, you looked at the Samaritans with contempt. I mean, contempt doesn't even come close to describe it. Because they had, they had completely distorted religion, right? They, it was now this blending of Judaism and paganism, plus they were like half-breeds. They were considered impure, there was extreme prejudice against the Samaritans. They were, they were considered unclean. And so if you were in Galilee and you wanted to go down to Jerusalem for a festival or something, the quickest way to get through would be to go through Samaria. But they wouldn't go through Samaria. They'd go all the way around Samaria because they believed. I mean, this is how much they hated the Samaritans. They believed that if they stepped foot in Samaria, that they would be unclean. And so, that, but Jesus... He was having none of that. And so he had to go to Samaria. Because there was a divine appointment he had with someone and he had to get to it. Didn't, didn't care if that she was a Samaritan. Didn't care that she was a woman. Didn't care about any of that. We'll get into that in a moment. He had to go to Samaria. So let me ask you. Who are the people in your life that you avoid? Who are the people in your life that you, you know, may, you probably don't think of them as being unclean. But you kind of treat them like they're unclean. You just, you don't want to be around them. Maybe they, like, you know, they're just annoying. Right? They talk, they're always talking about themselves. Or they, you know, you never get a word in edgewise. 
Maybe they have different political views than you have. Maybe they have a different lifestyle than you have. Maybe they don't believe the things that you believe. Maybe they come from a different culture, you know, and it's just kind of like makes it awkward and it's just kind of hard or whatever it is. And so you kind of avoid these people. You go around. But if we're followers of Jesus, we don't go around. We go through. Right? If we're followers of Jesus, we realize that, hey, the people in our life, if we've got life with Jesus, people in our life, they need life with Jesus. And so Jesus is our leader. And so we follow him wherever he leads us. We, too, have to go to Samaria. Right? We don't plan this. And here's another thing. You might have the people that you kind of steer and you go around. You're that to someone else. So we just all need to like, have that humility and realize, and realize that that's the case. Um, you know, we, we, just, we, need to, we need to be aware of this. It says in John 4, verse 7, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now what we don't realize is how much honor Jesus bestowed upon this woman with a simple request. The simple request, will you give me a drink? Because in first century AD, the rights of women were pretty bad, right? Women were, they, they, they really wouldn't leave the house. They were seen like their only value was to have children and to take care of the house. And if they did leave the house, they would only leave the house in the, in the company of, of men in their family. Jesus was a rabbi. So a rabbi especially wouldn't speak to a woman at a well. She was a Samaritan. And so we all know now like why that was such a big deal. A Jew did not speak to a Samaritan, especially this type of Samaritan woman. Because when Jesus said, call your husband, she says, I've had, you know, I don't have a husband. He said, well, actually, you've had five, and the one you're, work, one you're with now isn't your husband. So she was someone who was shunned. Right? She was someone who, the reason that she's getting water at noon in the heat of the day by herself is because she was rejected by all the other Samaritan women who would go in the morning in the cool of the day. She was an outcast. And so let's put this all together. You've got a Samaritan and Jew. You've got a woman and a rabbi. You've got a promiscuous person with someone who's like perfect holiness and purity. Yet he reaches out to her. And this is such a beautiful picture, a portrait of who Jesus is and who we're called to be. See, Jesus was always doing this kind of thing. We don't understand how radically subversive Jesus was. So this conversation he's having with the woman at the well is radically subversive. When he told the parable of the good Samaritan, right? They, they, like the Jewish people who heard that was like, well, hold on, wait a minute. You're going to tell a story with a hero? And you're going to make the hero a good Samaritan? When Jesus would do things like heal a servant from a Roman soldier or call women to be his disciples, to be part of his community. When he would say things like that we need to care for the poor and he would say blessed are the poor, we don't understand with our 21st century lens how radical this was. And all of these little actions that Jesus did literally changed the world. Like set, a, set things in motion that change the world. So there are things now that we just expect. Well, this is what people do. But people didn't do these kind of things before Jesus. See, Jesus was radical. Jesus was subversive. And Jesus did these actions and these actions changed the world. And let me just say something here for a moment. Something that I'm concerned about. And I, you know, I, some people might get offended by this. But hopefully you hear the point of what I'm saying. Something that concerns me is how much political polarization we have in our country. And what really concerns me, and I'm not saying we don't have political views and values and things that we understand, but, but it seems to me that, that too many Christians, sometimes I wonder if we're all being discipled by Fox News and MSNBC more than we're being discipled by Jesus. I sometimes wonder because... because it seems like we're learning to otherize people. That we're, that we're learning to say, you're, you're in this camp and I'm in this camp, so I'm against you. And there just seems to be hatred. There seems to be vitriol. There seems to be stuff. And that stuff's going to happen in the world. But that stuff should never happen with followers of Jesus. Because we follow Jesus. Right? And I just want to be really clear. Like, we don't want to be a church like that. We want to be a church that tears down the politics of polarization. Ephesians 2.14, he himself is our peace. He, like, he doesn't just tell us to be peaceful. He's our peace. 
And so he's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And so that means that we go to the other, that we must go to Samaria, that we love people who believe things that are different from what we believe, that we love people who live lifestyles that are different from the lifestyles that we live. That we love people who vote differently than we vote. We love people who have papers and people who don't have papers. That, that we as followers of Jesus, we are called, we must go to Samaria. And I wonder if we can't show love to people who are different from us, you got to question whether or not we've truly understood Jesus' gospel. And so, and so we're called to, to go to Samaria. We're called to be the people who love no matter what, right? That, we, that no matter what the situation is, no matter what's going on, we're called to live. And why this is so important, in so many ways, but, but one way that it's really important is because as far as who we relate to in this story, we are the Samaritan woman. And that leads me to my third and final point. It's going to be a little bit of a long one. Jesus is the one who satisfies our thirst. Jesus is the thirst quencher. And so this woman, she was searching for something that would satisfy her. She was searching for something that would fulfill her. She was searching for something that would give her life meaning. And we are all looking for something that will quench our, quench our thirst. See, here's the thing. We've all lived different lives. We've all had different journeys. But there's been a through line for all of our journeys that's the same. We're thirsty. And we're trying to get our, our, our thirst quenched. And so for her, it was relationships. She moved from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship to try to get that thirst quenched, to try to find that meaning and that purpose and that comfort that she was looking for. What is it for you? What is it that you've gone to over and over again trying to get your thirst quenched? Verse 9, John 4, verse 9, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so she's intrigued and she's like, all right, living water sounds cool. I'd like living water. How do I get this living water? Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. And what he said to this woman and what he says to all of us is if you keep repeating the same patterns, Go into the same wells over and over again, thinking it's going to quench your thirst. You're always going to be thirsty. And this is true for all of us. We have a thirst inside of us. We were created with a thirst. There's a thirst in us for something that will satisfy. Something that will give us peace. Something that will give us contentment. Something that will give us satisfaction. And we keep going to the same well over and over again, thinking the next trip is going to quench our thirst. But it doesn't. It's like, imagine if you're running a marathon, right, and you're thirsty, and you come to one of those water stations, and you grab water, but, but somebody plays a mean trick on you, and rather than having a cup full of water, it's a cup full of sand, and so you drink the sand, and now you're thirstier than you were before, right? That describes a lot of our trips to the well. Remember when Jesus said that it's harder for a rich man or a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven? People have taken that to say, oh, God's against the rich. Well, I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. Because there's a verse which says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that, that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. I think what Jesus is saying here is it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven because the, the rich person's wealth buys them options. So they can go to a well and be like, this is going to give me what I need. You know, I, I got this education. And they take, they take a drink and it doesn't satisfy. Okay, well, I need something else. But I've got means. So let me buy some nice cars. And I'm driving around this nice car and it's all good. But no, that didn't do it. Let me get a beach house. Or let me upgrade my spouse or whatever it is. That money provides them options. But you see, that's what, what happens is you go from one thing to another to another. Because there's so many options. There's so many bright and shiny things. And we've all seen, we kind of know in our culture, there's this thing that can happen to wealthy people when they're old. Like really wealthy people. That they can seem to have everything but their soul is totally shriveled up, right? Because they've been on this journey and, and there's always something else that they can go to, always something else they think, well, this will be the, this will be the thing that I'm looking for. C.S. Lewis said this, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. There is such a thing as food. 
A duckling wants to swim. There is such a thing as water. If I find my, in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is, is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, oh wait, I'm repeating myself. <laughs> you, you get it. So what Jesus is offering this woman the real thing. What, what he's saying to this woman is, listen, it, you're not going to find it in relationships. You're not going to find it in money. You're not going to find it in achievements. You're going to find it by drinking the water that I provide for you. And Jesus doesn't offer her a well. Jesus offers her a spring. Now, there were three different ways that you could get water if you lived in the ancient world. It wasn't like us where we could just turn on a faucet and the water comes right out. You could have a cistern. And a cistern, you would dig the cistern. It was a man-made hole. And then when it rained, water would flow into the cistern and you would have drinking water. Now, the problem with a cistern is that if it didn't rain or whatever, the, the cistern would dry up. Cisterns would often dry up. Jesus did not say that he was a cistern. Right? The other way that you could get water was through a well. And so a well is fed by an underground source and you dig down into the, into the ground and you drop your bucket all the way down and it can get water. Now, the thing about a well is that a well could dry up. That was kind of a common thing. The well runs dry. But also, the further the well was from the source, it could, the water could become contaminated. The water could become something that could make you sick. Jesus did not say that he was a well. The third way that you would get water is through a spring. And a spring was different. First of all, a spring was very close to the source. And so there was this pressure underground that would push the water up. And a spring would eat its way through rock. Like there doesn't matter what you put on top of the spring. The power, the force of that spring is going to cause the water to keep coming up, to keep bubbling up. Jesus said that he was a spring. He didn't say he was a, a cistern. He didn't say he was a well. What he said in John 4, 14, Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, that's what Jesus offers us, a spring of water that just can't stop, won't stop. doesn't matter how much dirt you throw on it. You could cover it up with a rock, but that spring is going to keep coming. It's going to leak out. And so what Jesus is saying to this woman is everything that you are looking for is found in me. God has put a desire in you. There's something in each of us. We're thirsty. We were made thirsty. Right? Isn't that something I think kids will say now, like somebody's thirsty, and it means they're just like, they want things too bad. Well, you know, we're all, we're all thirsty. We're all thirsting for something. Jesus is the one who satisfies. I was thinking through some of the ways, you know, I always say things like Jesus makes life better, makes us better at life. Let's break that down a little bit. What are the thirsts that Jesus satisfies? Well, he satisfies our thirst for purpose, right? You have a thirst for purpose. There's something in you that wants your life to be meaningful, wants your life to make a difference. You know, and, and happiness is not it. Personal happiness is not a strong enough purpose that won't sustain you. You need a purpose that's bigger than yourself. You need a purpose that when the winds and the waves and the trouble and the difficulties and the persecution, whatever it is, comes your way, you have a purpose that enables you to keep going because it's bigger than you. Jesus gives us a purpose. His water gives us a purpose. His spring gives us a purpose because now your little tiny story is folded into the great big giant story of the kingdom of God and the redemption of all things. See, Jesus is renewing all things and you get to be a part of that. So Jesus satisfies, quenches our thirst for purpose. He quenches our thirst for love. Like that's huge. You know what? It's easy to look at the Samaritan woman and say, yeah, she was like on a quest for love. She needed, she needed love. And yeah, relationships are a way that we try to have that thirst quenched. But it's not just relationships. I would, I would suggest that a lot of what we do really comes from our desire to be loved. So if you want to become really successful and you work really hard to become partner with your law firm or you get the degrees or, or whatever it is to get success... I bet part of what's driving you is you think, if I get to the top, then people will love me. Then people will see that I'm valuable and I'll have unconditional love. 
I think there's so many things that we do that is driven by this desire to be loved. Jesus quenches our thirst for love because when we get connected to Jesus and we drink from the spring that he offers us, we are in touch with the perfect agape love of our Heavenly Father. See, we are connected to a love. God is love. He's not, love is not just a part of who he is. It is who he is. And you get connected to your heavenly father. And you realize that you have a God who loves you unconditionally. That he is for you. That he loves you. That he knows you. He knows your name. He knows everything that's going on in your life. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. But none of it stops the love that he has for you. Right? Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so he quenches our thirst for love. He quenches our thirst for forgiveness. I don't care how much psychologists these days try to say sin is like passe and sin isn't real. and We know that's not true. Because every single one of us, we know that we've done things in our life to hurt other people. That we intentionally did things in our life to hurt other people. And the pain that we cause other people comes back on us in the form of guilt. And guilt is real. It doesn't matter how much the psychologists try to explain it away. We know guilt. We have guilt. The history of humanity and religion and everything has been how do we deal with our guilt? Because we all know that we all know that we that we have it. And uh, you know what? I'm I'm like I'm 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 getting too much into my preaching that I'm so far ahead of my notes right now. It takes me a minute to find it. <laughs> Romans eight one says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus uh, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. See, quenches our need to be forgiven. There's no condemnation. You are a new creature. Your sins are thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. And, and connection with Jesus quenches our thirst to know where we are headed. Every single human being, many, many times, not just once, but all throughout life, will lay their head down on the pillow and say, is this all there is? Is this all there is to life? Is there anything more? Is there more? Because it's really hard not to be a nihilist if this is all there is. I mean, if you just get, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years if you're lucky, and that's it. And then there's no consciousness, there's no personhood, there's no nothing, you know, however you want to describe it. You don't exist anymore. There's something inside of us because the Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. And so there's a quest, there's this thirst that we would know what happens to us. And so there we have Jesus who says, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's mansion or many rooms. I'm going to go make a room just for you. Or Jesus, as he said to his disciples, he said, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back and get you so you can come to the place where I am. So Jesus quenches our thirst to know where we're going. Jesus is the thirst quencher. And when we drink the water, the spring of water of, that Jesus offers us, it wells up to eternal life. Yes, it means we'll live forever, but it means we get to enjoy the life of the ages. We get to enjoy eternal life. We have our thirst quenched, right? We have our thirst for purpose. We have our thirst for love. We have our, our, our thirst for forgiveness. And we have our thirst for the future, knowing what's going to happen. That is quenched. And then we can stop existing and we can start really living. So with all that, let's take a look at what I would call my favorite scene from all the scenes of The Chosen, all the seasons. Let's check it out. Louder. you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I 
I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. <sighs> exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him. Because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. 
but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> You forgot your um. So um, first of all, you know what I love when I one of the things I love when I saw this is um, I preached the you know John chapter four many many times, and I always would kind of make a joke and say, "Oh, she's excited, she's yelling, tell you know, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did." And I would say he didn't really tell her everything she ever did. She was excited. I love that they interpret it. He actually did. You know, he had those words of knowledge to call out her husbands. I thought that was beautiful. But um, here's the thing. So in a couple chapters, in John chapter 7, Jesus is at the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's celebrated up to this day, it's when Jewish people remember the 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years of sand and heat and thirst. And it says this in John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, of the festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And so let me say to those of you who are a follower of Jesus, and you feel that maybe you're not enjoying these springs of living water. Maybe you're doing some things to throw some dirt on the springs. Maybe, it's probably a combination, there are people who've done things. Like people keep on trying to cover up that spring. People keep, you know, just doing things to rob you of your joy and coming again. Like life is a struggle. But I want to tell you that it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what other people do. It doesn't matter what the gates of hell do or does. You have a spring of water that's flowing in you that is welling up to eternal life and nothing can stop that spring from flowing. Nothing can, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can keep the life and joy and purpose that God has for you from flowing. Can't stop, won't stop. It's going to well up into a spring that leads you into eternal life. That is a promise that you can claim. And I just want to tell you, I love, you know, probably my, my favorite line is when the Samaritan woman says, I am rejected by others. And Jesus, just with full of compassion, says, I know, but not by the Messiah. And I just want you to know that whatever your situation is right now, that is Jesus' heart towards, towards you. That is what he's saying to you right now. He loves you, and he's for you. He sees your thirst. And he doesn't want you to be thirsty anymore. He wants to give you living water that will quench your thirst. Let's stand together and let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Lord, that you quench our thirst. Lord, you are the thirst quencher. Thank you, God, for this spring that bubbles up inside of us, that, that just carries us through. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that that spring would be released. I pray in Jesus' name that right now that anything that is blocking the spring of life, God, from, from bubbling up inside of us, Lord, that, that you would just remove it right now and that your river would flow. And Lord, I pray that where we're feeling hopeless, where we're feeling discouraged, where we're tired, where we're oppressed, whatever it is, that we would fix our eyes on you and that we would be filled with your hope. Lord, the hope and the life that comes from the living water that only comes from you. And so, Lord, we look to you right now in Jesus' name.
for our thirst to be quenched. We're going to have people from the uh, prayer ministry team. They're going to be over here to my right. And listen, wherever you're thirsty, whatever's going on, where you need the spring to flow, let somebody pray with you. Let somebody pray that whatever needs to be removed, that God will remove it, that the, that, the, that the river would flow in your life. And if you're here and you have not yet taken a drink, the living water that Jesus offers, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And so if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, and you just know that you've been trying to get your thirst quenched in all sorts of different ways, but you're still thirsty. Jesus sees you, and he brought you here just as he met that woman at the well. He brought you here to hear this message and to hear this truth because he loves you and he's for you and he wants to quench your thirst. And so if you're ready to have your thirst quenched, just pray this prayer. You don't even have to say it out loud. Just say it in your heart. Say, Jesus, I'm thirsty. I need a drink of your living water. I believe you died on the cross in my place. I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe that you're here right now offering me a drink. And I receive that drink. Please forgive all of my sins. Tear down everything that separates me from you. And come and live, live inside of me through your Holy Spirit. I accept your free gift of salvation. And from here on out, I'm going to follow you. And may your spring bubble up in my life to quench my thirst and glorify your name. Just keep your eyes closed, but if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer this morning, just raise your hand. Okay, awesome. I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. One, if you have a connection card, physical one, just check off that you decided to become a follower of Jesus and we'll send you some stuff this week that'll help you out. If you don't have the card, what you can do is text FOLLOW to 201-584-7188 and, uh, and then, and then uh, something a, a prompt will come up and, and you put your information in and it'll do the same thing. We'll send you some information that will help you develop a lifestyle of drinking from the water, the, the living water that Jesus offers. Whatever prayer needs you have, you know, there are things that God wants to do in your life to, to unstop the flow so that it's, his living water would flow. Let somebody pray with you. Someone would love to have the opportunity to pray with you this morning. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Those of you who are going to do the growth track in about five minutes, I'll be starting that class in the Team Vineyard Room. Have a great week.